Um, I entitled the sermon today, The Need to Fear God. The Need to Fear God. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 5. The book of Acts, chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we're going to read from verses 1 through verses 11 today. But before we go into the text as a way of introduction, I noticed that a word which is used a lot here in California is the word dude. <laughs> everybody is a dude. Everybody, and I mean everybody, is a dude. My wife is a dude, my daughter is a dude, the doctor is a dude, the pastor is the dude, even the president of the United States is called a dude. And a word which is used with dude is awesome. Like, you know, that dude is awesome. And awesome is used with lots of other things, like in and out is awesome. Chick-fil-A is awesome. They're good. They're not awesome. The meaning of awesome today is very different from what it used to mean. Today we use awesome for something or someone who is extremely impressive or extremely good. However, its original meaning, it means astonishment that results in fear. Astonishment that results in fear. So when the Bible refers to God as awesome, he is not referring to him as someone who is extremely cool or extremely good. No, he is making the point that God is to be feared. And like awesome, the fear of God has lost its meaning and its significance in the life of the church. And God is just some dude who's awesome. Over and over in scripture, God makes the point that he wants to be feared. Let's look at the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 14. Just going to read one verse. One of the reasons God sent the plagues to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, was to put the fear of him into the Israelites, into God's people. Exodus 14, 31, it says, When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, what happened? The people feared the Lord. God says that he wants to be feared continually. Generation after generation, he wants to be feared. Deuteronomy 4.10, it says, God here is speaking. He says, gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words. Why? So that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth. Not only that, and that they may teach their children so. God wants to be feared among his people. Psalm 89, 7, it says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and held in reverence 
by all those around him. The theme of God being feared is repeated over and over in Scripture. Well, you might tell me, that's in the Old Testament. We live under grace now. Yeah, that's true. We are under a new covenant, and we don't, we're not under the Mosaic covenant. But that does not imply that God is our buddy, and we should not fear him. God is gracious, yes, but he is also sovereign and a just judge. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Yes, nobody's afraid of lambs. I don't know, maybe. Maybe some of you are afraid of lambs. I don't know. But he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. God was and still wants to be feared in his church, and he will take extreme measures so that his name might be feared. The New Testament conveys the same idea. God is to be feared. And this is our text today, Acts chapter 5. But before we look at the passage, we need to define what does it mean to fear God and also show its importance in our lives. So, a definition. The unbeliever has no fear of God. He sins continually. The chief cause of sin is because he doesn't fear God. Psalm 36, 1, it says, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. That's why he sins continually. He doesn't fear God. But for the believer, for those who have put their trust in Christ Jesus, the fear of God is a holy inclination generated by God in the hearts of his children. Why? In order to revere and obey him. The Holy Spirit enables the believer to see the majesty and the awesomeness of God. In Isaiah 11:12, the Holy Spirit is called the, whole, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So fearing God comes with knowing who he is. A little boy may approach a lion thinking it's a cat because he does not know its danger. It's the same thing with God. Also, when talking about the new covenant, God is talking, speaking, Jeremiah. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. Okay. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts. Why? So that they will not turn away from me. So fearing God helps us grow in our sanctification and our pursuit of holiness. When we fear God, we will take extreme measures to not displease Him in anything we do and to seek earnestly, earnestly things that please Him. So we avoid and we seek. So why is it important? because it helps us grow in our sanctification. And now, coming to our text, 
we will learn what does it look like to fear God. We will see how a couple who did not fear God acted and the consequences they reaped. In Acts 5 verses 1, 3, 11, there are three consequences of not fearing God, which we need to be aware of so that we might know how to fear God appropriately. Let us read the text. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up, covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Verse 7. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came in, found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. In great fear, came over the whole church and over all who, those who heard of these things. In other words, Ananias and Sapphira gave money to the church, but with wrong intentions, and they were struck dead by God. That's scary. Let me give you a small context of what was happening before. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus promises the disciples that the Holy Spirit will come upon them and they will preach the gospel in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, the, the church is born. The Holy Spirit descended on the disciples and Peter preached the sermon and 3,000 people were saved and added to the church. And Luke mentions that there is unity in the church. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal a crippled beggar, and P Peter preaches another sermon. And in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John get arrested because of Peter's preaching. But they were released, and at the same time, they were threatened. 
Stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about the gospel. But, of course, they don't. And Luke mentions in chapter 4, there is unity in the church. He says that they were of one heart and one soul. And how no one was lacking anything. It says, for there was not a needy person among them. And then we come to this incident. It's like an interruption of the flow of events. Everything was going fine. But then two people die in the church because of their sin. This chapter mentions the first sin that entered the church. And as we have read, God is not pleased about it. He dealt immediately with that sin, which resulted in the death of two people only three hours apart. Why? It says in verses 5 and verses 11, so that the church might fear him, so that the church might fear God, and even those outside of the church. The fear of God is repeated twice in the same incident. That's the main idea of the text. God needs to be feared in his church. And sin is not something he enjoys seeing in his church. There will be consequences. So, point number one. The first consequence. When we don't fear God, we desire the praises of men. When we don't fear God, we desire the praises of men. Verses 1 and 2. The text says that Ananias kept back some of the proceeds of the land. So Ananias had a piece of land. He sold it. Kept back some of the money for himself and gave the rest to the church. Well, is that, is that wrong? Is that sinful? Does this mean I am obliged to give all my money to the church and if I don't do that, I'm in sin? No, don't worry. <laughs> That's not the point of the text. The idea behind the passage is that Ananias tried to deceive the church that he gave all that he had to the church. In other words, if the land was worth a million dollars, so he sold it for a million dollars, and he gave $800,000 to the church. But what he did, he said that the land sold for $800,000. So he's trying to deceive by pretending someone he's not. Giving money to the church in order to help the needy, it's, it's a righteous act. But doing it with the wrong intentions is sinful. Giving large amounts of money does not mean you are allowed to sin. Even if you give a million dollars to the church, done with sinful motives, God is not pleased with your sacrifice. But if you give a hundred dollars with the right intentions, God is pleased. But why did Ananias try to deceive Peter and the church this way? Why? Well, if you read the couple of verses back in Acts chapter 4, we read about Barnabas, who was a Jew, who came to know the Lord Jesus. And he had a piece of land, he sold it, gave the money to the church, 
because there was a need in the church and he thought that he could meet that need by selling his land. Let's read together Acts chapter 4, 36 and, verses 36 and 37. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it the apostles' feet. We must understand that Barnabas was a Levite, which means he didn't own anything. But somehow he got this land. So it is his one and only possession. So what does he do? He sells it. So what does it mean? Barnabas gave all that he had to the church. And for that, he was praised. He's mentioned in God's eternal word. Seeing that, Ananias desired the same thing. He wanted to be praised by men. And also make a profit out of it. He wanted to keep back some of the money, which is not wrong at all. But he wanted to, people to think that he gave all that he had to the church, just like Barnabas did. He wanted to be regarded as a spiritual giant, a sacrificial giver. Well, actually, he was not. You know, if Ananias had given $800,000 to the church, he would be thanked. Good job. Thank you. But that was not his intention. He wanted to be seen as a superior, superior pious man. Ananias clearly did not fear God. He was trying to deceive the church of God. He wanted to be considered as one of the best there is. And because he desired the praises of men, he tried to deceive others by pretending someone he's not, who's not. Ananias gave a false impression of himself on purpose so that he might be praised by men. But he was exposed and he suffered greatly. My question to you is this. Are you pretending someone you're not? Are you trying to fool the church by showing off that you're a spiritual person and a sacrificial giver when actually you're like Ananias planning with your wife so that the church may praise you and look at you and admire you? Are you more self-centered than God-centered? Are you trying to impress man? Or do you want to glorify God in your giving and in everything you do. Pretending someone you're not, it's called hypocrisy. The word for hypocrisy, it means wearing a mask, means acting. We are in Hollywood, yes, but God will not be mocked. No, Jesus condemned the hypocrites because they wanted the praises of men. Let's go to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Verse 
when we don't fear God, we desire the praises of men. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. Jesus here, he's preaching to the disciples. And he's talking about giving. Matthew 6, 6 verse 2. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. Why? So that they will be praised by people. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Translated today, it's like posting a video of yourself giving out money to the poor. Taking a photo. Yeah. Kind of N-word hunger. But what does Jesus says, say? But when you give to the poor, verse 3, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your charitable giving will be in secret, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. That's it. You want to praise God and not wait for the praises of men. In verse 5, Jesus is talking about prayer. He says, and when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? So that they will be seen by people. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Imagine a Pharisee standing on the street with his buddy, another Pharisee, and like he's praying, mm, and then he shoves his buddy and says, hey dude, somebody watching? When you're praying, are you trying to impress somebody with your prayers? Using certain language? Certain words that nobody understands. <laughs> Jesus says in verse 6, But as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So in order to fear God, our concern is not to be praised by men, but our concern is for God to receive the praise. What we need to do is to be honest. And honest with ourselves and everyone around us, especially in the church. If you're struggling with sin, come and talk with some of the elders. But stop pretending someone you're not. Stop pretending you're a spiritual giant. When actually you're not. Repentance is something that we Christians do every day because every day we sin. Fearing God does not mean that we don't struggle with sin. We do struggle with sin. But it is realizing that we are sinning against a holy and a righteous God. And we need to stop that. Fearing God does not care about the praises of men. It's only concern is for God to receive all the praise and the glory. When we fear God, our true desire is for God to use us for his glory. Like Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Examine yourself when you give to the church. 
Are you doing it out of obligation to prove to others that you're a sacrificial giver? When you pray, are you doing it to, to tell other people that, yeah, I pray every morning. You're a prayer warrior. When you read your Bible, are you gaining knowledge so that you would quote scripture so that people would think of you as a man of the word? Or are you doing it as an act of worship to God? Remember, being deceitful is identified with Satan. Satan was a deceiver. Another thing which Satan is recognized by, he's a liar. He's the father of lies. That's the second consequences, consequence when we don't fear God. When we don't fear God, we lie. Simple. Verses 3 and verses 4 in Acts 5. Peter, illumined by the Holy Spirit, knows what Ananias and Sapphira have done in their, private, in, their, in their home when no one was watching. Peter says in verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then he says at the end of verse 4, why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have lied to God. Just a footnote here. This text is used to prove that the Holy Spirit is God. If you look at verses 3 and 4, he's, Peter says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 4, he says, you have lied to God. Holy Spirit, God. And also, the Holy Spirit is a person because you can't lie to a force or a power. You can only lie to a person. So, just a small footnote. If you go back to our text, if you notice, Satan is not the one to blame. Ananias was the one to blame because he believed the lie of Satan. Satan filled his heart, which means he believed that lie wholeheartedly and he suffered the consequences for believing that lie and when we don't fear God we believe Satan's lies it's like what happened with Adam and Eve right Adam and Eve paid the consequences for their sin even though Satan had a part of it I don't know what was going through Ananias's mind but he actually thought he could get away with lying he definitely would have success if the Holy Spirit did not reveal what he did to Peter. But God did not allow that to happen. Why? In order to set an example for others who would think of doing the same thing as Ananias did. God wants to be feared in his church and he will take extreme measures. Look at what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. In verse 8, Sapphira did the same thing and she reaped the same consequence. Verse 8, Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for this price. And she said, yes, for that price. Ananias and Sapphira, they sat together, they planned this whole thing out. But they forgot who the head of the church is. It's Christ, the all-knowing Christ. Trying to make a fool out of the apostles, 
would make a fool out of Christ and his church. So the Holy Spirit did not allow that to happen. And her life was taken away from her. Interesting thing to note about Sapphira, that she remembered the exact amount of the price of the land. That's what happened when, when, you, when you lie. You need to remember what you said previously in order not to mess up what, what you're lying about now. That results in you constantly lying. That's sin over sin over sin over sin. Covering your lie with another lie. And when we lie, it's obvious we don't fear God. God is omniscient, which means he knows everything about everybody. The intentions of your heart, he knows them all. We tend to forget sometimes, but he knows everything. Nothing can get past him. Every single detail about your life. He knows what you did in secret. Every little thought that goes into your mind. He does not forget anything. And when we lie, we think that no one will know. But God knows. And that should create in us a fear that the holy and righteous God knows that we are lying. You know, one lie is worthy of eternal torment and hell. That is how holy God is. However, because of God's great love and great mercy, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God. He took on human flesh, lived the perfect life which was required of us and he took upon himself the sins of all those who would believe in him. Hallelujah. He cried out on the cross, it is finished. He paid the full price in full. And the father was pleased with his sacrifice. And he was raised on the third day. The resurrection is a proof that our sins have been paid for. However, even though the, the gospel, this, this glorious truth that our sins are forgiven, are dealt with, that does not mean that you are allowed to sin, you are permitted to sin. God will exercise discipline. And God disciplines out of love. Hebrews 12, 6, it says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So what, was, so what must you do? Don't lie. Tell the truth. It's easier said than done. Don't believe the lies of Satan that it is okay to lie. It's okay. It's okay. You know, I remember a person back home used to work for a company and 
His boss told him that when the phone rings and somebody wants to talk with me, tell them I'm not here. And actually he was. So he told him, no, no I'm not going to do that. He said, yes, you're going to do that. He said, okay, let's see. <laughs> somebody called. He picked, up, he picked up the phone. He said, can I talk with your boss? He said, sure. He gave him the phone. That man fears God more than he fears man. His boss saw that because that man feared God, he was not going to bring disgrace to his God by lying. The fear of God in our hearts will alert us when we are displeasing God. Christians need to pursue and live the truth. Fearing God means telling the truth no matter what the cost is. Church, God is more honored when his people speak the truth more than if the church gave all, the, all its money to the church. But you know, telling the truth, sometimes it's hard. If Sapphira had said, oh, Peter, me and my husband have lied. Could you please forgive us? She would have lived. It might seem hard to confess in front of the church that you lied because maybe people will not trust you as much as they did before. But that should not be your concern. Your main concern is to glorify God. We should fear God more and go and make things right. Just the thought of lying should cultivate in us a fear of God. The third and last consequence. It's in verse 9. When we don't fear God, we belittle his power. We belittle his power. We underestimate, under word, we underestimate his power. Verse 9, then Peter, next 5, sorry. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? After hearing the lie, Peter answers and says that they have put the spirit of the Lord to the test. So what does that mean? What does putting to the test mean? It's actually one word. In the Greek. And the meaning behind it, I'm going to read it. The intent to put God to the test, it's to discover whether God really can do a certain thing, especially whether God notices sin and is able to punish it. In other words, Ananias and Sapphira actually believed that God was not going to do anything to them. They believed that he was unable to discipline them. They believed that God will not notice their sin. That's putting the Lord to the test. If they were convinced otherwise, I don't think they would have followed through with their plan. If they thought that 
God is going to discipline us, we better not do what we are going to do. How many times have you said this? Maybe you did not say these exact words, but you acted as though God will not notice your sin. And you say to yourself, God's not going to discipline me. It's like you're, you're, a, you're a, an exception. I'm sorry, you're not. You might say, look at all these liars out there. Is he going to discipline me? I'm his son. I'm one of his children. Brother and sister, you might not have seen God's discipline because God has been showing you grace all this time. But believe me, one day you will see his discipline. If you do not repent, God is gracious. If we repent, he will show us grace. But if we continue in our sin, there will be discipline. Let us not forget that. Don't put the Lord to the test like the Israelites did. You know, sometimes we read in the Old Testament and we say, oh, how could they do that? But we do the same thing. Could you open with me to Exodus chapter 17 to see how the Israelite tested God. They put their creator, sustainer to the test. Exodus chapter 17. God had just hit Pharaoh and the Egyptians with the plagues. And they saw God's awesomeness. They saw it with their own eyes. And because they were thirsty, this is what they say. Verse 2. So the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water so that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? If you would go down to verse, verse 7. Then he named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means dispute, because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? They had just seen the awesomeness of God. And this is what they say. They want water. They were saying, prove to us that you are God by giving us water. This is putting God to the test. And when we put the Lord to the test, we underestimate him. We belittle his power. Unfortunately, many churches do that. They test the Lord. And their pastors encourage them to do that. I once heard a pastor, he said, I dare you to try God. Give Jesus a 60-day trial period. And if Jesus doesn't change your life, then you can get your money back. That's a way of evangelism these days. Does God need to prove himself to anyone? God does not need to prove anything 
to anyone because there is no one higher or more exalted than God. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He does not report to anybody because there is no one higher than God. If there is an awesome being, it is God. He is all-knowing, all-powerful. Revelation 4, we, we see God being worshipped in heaven by angelic creatures which are far more stronger than any man. And look at what they say. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Isaiah 46, you can open there if you want. Isaiah 46, it's a wonderful passage. I love it. Every time I read it, I get goosebumps. Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11. God here is speaking to his people. He says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there, was, there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. What does he do? Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my plan will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a distant country. Look at how God is powerful. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. I will certainly do it. Amen. Fearing God has to do with believing that God will do what he has said in his word. That's fearing God. And God wants men and women to revere him in his word. Isaiah 66, it says, God is speaking also. Heaven is my throne and the earth is, is the footstool for my feet. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. So all these things came into being, declares the Lord. And this, but I will look to this one. At one who is humble and contrite in spirit, the last one, and who trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. Do you tremble when you hear God's word being preached or when you read the Bible? If you want, in conclusion, if you want to summarize what Ananias and Sapphira did, they deceived, they lied, and they put God to the test. Does that remind you of somebody? Satan. Lying, deceiving, putting God to the test. Let us remember what Solomon says. 
the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God wants to be feared among his people. And in order to do that, our desire should not be to be praised by men, but rather that God would be praised. We should not lie or believe Satan's lie, but seek and speak the truth. And we should never underestimate his power, but stand in awe of his greatness. I want to end with an interesting story that summarizes how some Christians view God these days. There was this person who was sharing on his Instagram account, and he was saying that the Holy Spirit talked with him. That, that's interesting. I wanted to know what he was going to say. He says, this man, he says, and I quote, I felt the Holy Spirit tap me on my shoulder. And he said, hey, Mike. Yeah, that's how the Holy Spirit greets people. <laughs> and Mike's response was, what's up? What's up? Imagine the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity talking to a creature which is made out of the dirt. He tells him, hey, Mike, and his response is, what's up? How we underestimate his awesomeness. But friend, remember these three things. Be God-centered in your thoughts, God-fearing in your hearts, and God-honoring in your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is truth. We thank you for your awesomeness and for your greatness. We thank you that you are a holy and righteous judge. We thank you that you have shown us mercy and adopted us as your children. Let us leave here today having the fear of you in our hearts so that we might obey you and bring glory to your name. Let us shine our lights so that the sheep would come to the fold. We love you, Lord, and we want to do everything that is pleasing in your sight. Let the fear of you be kindled in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.